0: Welcome back to the official SASTA podcast in this very special Christmas week on the show. And with that in mind, have you been shopping for your better half's Christmas present? If the answer's no, then you still have the chance to do the right thing and make their Christmas. Oh yes, all you need to do to make that special person happy is buy them tickets to SASTA annual 2017 in February. Why? First, it's simply the best SAS conference ever with guests from Mark Suster to Brad Feld to HubSpot's Darmess Shah. But what if SAS is not for them? Well, we have you covered in that case too, as when you use the promo code with HARRY, those three words, drinks with Harry, you'll get a ticket to the hottest party in town, My Mojito Party, courtesy of Mr. Jason Lemkin. So whether they like sass or mojitos, sass to annual tickets is guaranteed to make your loved one happy this Christmas. However, to the show today, and I'm so thrilled to welcome a fellow Brit. Oh yes, I'm super excited to have Alex McCaw on the show. Alex is the founder and CEO of Clearbit. Now, Clearbit is the startup that is building a suite of business intelligence APIs to help companies find more information on their customers in order to increase sales and reduce fraud, and they have backing from some of the best early-stage investors, including the likes of First Round Capital, SV Angel, Intercom's Owen McCabe, HubSpot's Darmes Shah, and many more incredible investors. As for Alex, as well as being a fellow Brit who loves tea, he's also worked at the likes of Twitter and Stripe prior to founding Clearbit. However, enough from me, so without further ado, I'm delighted to hand over to Alex McCaw, founder at Clearbit. Good, that's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Alex, so fantastic to have you on the official SASTA podcast today. Huge thanks to Hardy at Matrix for the intro, but thank you so much for joining me today, Alex. Thank you so
1: much for having me, Harry.
0: Now, I'd love to get started today with a two to three minute founding story of you and of Clearbit and how the business got off the ground. Sure thing. Well, I came out
1: to San Francisco about five years ago. I'm an engineer by trade. So I worked at various tech companies like Stripe and Twitter. And then I left to start Clearbit. And and that was about two years ago at this point. Clearbit is essentially a modern data provider. We're solving companies' data problems. And essentially what we do at a high level is we surface hard-to-find information about a business's customers. So like I said, I was at Stripe previously. I saw a lot of data problems there. Either there was bad coverage average bad data or there wasn't a really good solution at all so we're trying to be a modern data provider mm-hmm. you can think of us like dnb 2.0 down and Bradstreet street 2.0 and we have a suite of data APIs that can do interesting things, like turn email addresses and domains into person and company information, or we'll find you new leads or de-anonymize traffic on your website. So we're now two years old. We're profitable. We have about a thousand customers, and we power the sales and marketing for, to be honest, much much of the valley, and even my old employer at Stripe.
0: I, I do have to ask on that Stripe and Twitter element, having having worked at such kind of titans, what were the big takeaways from for. for you that you have taken with you now to clear a bit
1: oh that's a tough one stripe and twitter were very very different companies
0: um, how, how are they different that's a good one
1: well the engineering culture for start was very different twitter was hired a lot of people when i joined by the by the time i joined there were a thousand people and to be honest there were too many people and each engineer does a little bit less work. That's one aspect of it. Other aspects is just is market. Like Both of those companies, while they had brilliant founders and brilliant people working for them, it was just really good timing, perfect market, great timing. All those things combined, and you have a, a rocket ship.
0: And, and today, I do want to focus on, on one area in particular, and that's kind of the sales side of life for you now at Clearbit. Mm. I know in the past, you've spoken about the future of sales being in personalization, but t- taking a slightly step, back i just want to ask the question of should you have a sales team as an api driven company it's often a thing that i get asked what is your response
1: well absolutely you should honestly any b2b company that tells you they don't have a sales team well Usually they do, or there's something wrong. So someone like Atlassian, for example, try and tell everyone they don't have a sales team. They have a sales team. There are people you can call for sure. A sales team isn't a bad thing. What you should try and do is automate a bunch of processes so you don't have to scale your sales team with headcount and be a little bit more efficient. And when it, when it comes to API-first companies, like you still have a pretty conventional sales team. Like Maybe they rely a bit more on freemium for leads, which is a really way, effective way of generating leads. So clear Clearbit, we get hundreds of signups every day, and we use that as the primary mechanism to grow. But half our company is in sales and growth. And we hire, we hire a little bit differently, though. So everyone in, in the sales team is technical. At this point, everyone can write SQL. and Indeed, they can write SQL much better than me. So, But for me, API first means that the API is called your strategy, and the API is the primary interface to your product. So in practice, that means that we're the most integrated solution. So we're where our customers already are. So whether they're, if they're hanging out in Slack, we're in salesforce and marketo we integrate with all these platforms and we essentially just try and integrate with where our customers are hanging out all day
0: in terms of you said there about automating parts of the sales team what have you found to be the easiest parts to automate
1: well, lead qualification is one of the best places to start. You've got a freemium company, you have hundreds of leads, you have leads that, there's too many to actually manually vet, and that's when you need more data. That's when you you, you use something like Clippers Enrichment API to find out more information on each sign-up and qualify them algorithmically with it, with some, some kind of lead scoring mechanism. But that's the, the lowest hanging fruit, but there's a ton of other things you can do. You can customize drip campaigns, you can have more efficient an automated sales course with a more if you have more contextual data on your customers that kind of thing
0: mm-hmm. in terms of the engineering sales team i'm intrigued as to how that converts obviously with the consumerization of products you know clear bit now is it's sold to technical developer centric minds with the kind of consumerization as you progress down the journey will that sales team develop from an engineering culture to a more consumer linguistic person do you know what i mean
1: Yes, it's a bit more conventional, and the answer to that is, is is yes. and there's only so many technical salespeople you can hire. My job is to try and stave that off for as long as possible. If we can grow to be a $100 million business with 100 people, then we should try and do that. And the only way that we get really good at that is through thinking very carefully about hiring and hiring technical people and automating a lot of processes. But to be honest, every late-stage company I see has the same sales team. Like I get a lot of insight into other companies' sales teams, as you can imagine, because they're often coming to me with particular data problems they have. Mm-hmm. And they all look the same. There you have you have your SDRs and your account manager and your small outbound team. I just think that for tech companies... They tend to rely a little bit less on outbound sales and a little bit more on inbound and freemium products.
0: In terms of kind of seeing the whole spectrum of sales teams that you do there, are there any kind of glaring inefficiencies that you see or or ways that they mismanage or mistreat customers?
1: I I see a lot of people trying to do lead qualification manually, which I think is a mistake. It's a waste of time. Yeah, it's honestly, there's a lot of different mistakes. Uh, I don't see any one glaring one that a lot of the companies do but essentially you just you just have to look at the sales process as a whole holistically and try and optimize each step of the funnel.
0: In, in terms of kind of approaching it holistically how do you address you said before about everyone treating their customers the same in what way the same do you think and, and what do you think the smart companies do to really to make the process more special for the customer
1: yeah I think this is a really important point I think personalization is the future of sales and as it stands now the current status quo every customer gets the same experience they see the same website and they see the same sign up form the same back-end product and they often get the same scripted sales call and people are different and they like to be treated differently and now the only way that you can do personalization at scale is have more data essentially so we've just launched a product reveal which will de-anonymize your website traffic so you can see which companies are on your website and this is really interesting information you can use this from an analytics perspective but you can also use this to customize the home page and we have customized customers using this to show different content to show different customer stories dependent on the size of the company that's looking at the page or the market vertical of the company so you can have a pretty customized experience immediately as soon as they hit your website and then as soon as they as a customer signs up and then you have their email address but then you can have a lot more information about them we use our enrichment api that that tells us what the the job title and role and seniority of the person is and then you can do some really really interesting things so first of all when you're do a sales call with the customer it could be a lot more customized because you already have a lot more contextual information on who the person is and who the company is but you can also do a lot of automation we actually at Clibbit we have three very distinct personas that we sell to people on the sales team the marketing team and then engineers on the product team and they need very very different messaging especially the engineers they, they, they want very different messaging and so what we'll do is we'll send different email drip campaigns dependent on the type person that is signing up. If they're an engineer, then they're going to get code in that first email. If they're in sales, then they're going to get some information that talks about Salesforce integration. We've actually managed to improve conversion by 40% by sending customized drip campaigns. I honestly think this is the fu- this is the future of sales, and companies need to think about this very closely.
0: In terms of, you, you mentioned kind of the several different products you have now with Reveal, and then with some of the freemium products you've released. In terms of focus, it's often something we hear about the importance of focus. product focus how does that affect your view of kind of product roadmap going forward and releasing more and more products to the same audience is that the plan or how does how does your kind of product roadmap thought process look
1: yeah i mean focus is incredibly important and to be honest with you harry is one of my less strong suites i'm a <laughs> engineer by trade and I like building products and solving problems. By this point, we could build a massive company just off the APIs we currently have. I, I think the bottleneck here is like sales and marketing and packaging and not me coding and making more products. That said, the vision of Clivet is a suite of data APIs. And when we have the sales team to support it, then we will go after additional areas. So we already do email enrichment and we do we have the Reveal API that does IP denonymization, and then we have the prospect APIs, which uh, will let you find new leads and new contacts. So we have those three and they tie pretty nicely together because they're all about the customer life cycle. It, essentially, we're giving you the most context possible at every interaction that you have with your customer. Any API that we produce in the future will tie into that story.
0: In terms of you said about sales and marketing that how was it hiring out a sales and marketing team as an engineering? lead founder and have you do you have a customer success team
1: yes well a team is a strong word we have one personal customer success <laughs> now that's now that's a really important role and there's also actually if you're clever about it wear some of a wolf and sheep's clothing they can be the upseller it's like if your customers are happy then you're going to get a lot of extra revenue from them so that's very important and I would definitely recommend hiring for that do you have your customer
0: um, success reps upsell themselves or do they pass off to sales reps
1: they're often doing sales slight upsetting themselves, just like, like in, in customers' faces about this, they're pretty subtle, but they'll like, suggest new things. You know, honestly, if they just make them really happy, then customers are just going to come to us naturally like, when they have any data problems. So I just think even that is a first step, just keeping customers really happy is, is a great one. And then, obviously, it's hard to quantify how much money you're making, but it doesn't really matter at our scale, at least. And then on the sales side of things, I've just been incredibly, incredibly fortunate. I'm not sure I if I have advice on how to replicate this, because I'm not quite sure how we did it, but we have four of the best sales people I've ever met, and they like like I say, they all they're all technical. They all write Ruby. They would never be allowed to push production code, but they can write it, and it helps them understand the customer a lot more. And they can also they all write SQL, so they can all answer their own questions they have about data. They have a Redshift database, and they can just dive in and answer their own questions.
0: And I'd love to dive into a quick fire with you now. We call it Sixty Seconds so it's a short statement and you give me your immediate thoughts. About sixty seconds per one. How does that sound? Okay. Yeah. So let's do how important is SF as a location for startups and is it worth it or not?
1: The answer to this is it is important if you're a B2B company. And the reason is that you can visit your customers. If you are not a B2B company, then honestly, it's not worth the rent.
0: Absolutely. Okay. So what do you know now that you wish you'd known when you started Clearbit? To
1: be honest, we didn't do enough product development. We would think of an idea, but we would think, oh, it's probably going to be useful. We would build it. And then only then would we take that to customers and iterate on it. Honestly, you should be taking ideas to customers before you build them. And you should also be pricing. And ideas and features with customers before you build them and that's one of the biggest learning
0: curves that we found who's the biggest mentor to you and how did it come about
1: so i'm gonna do a slight cop out here I, so i think what i've learned who i've learned the most from building clearbit is my growth team taught me so much about sales and marketing my main advice is just to surround yourself with really fantastic people
0: and then what's your favorite SaaS resource? What's your kind of must-read must reading material for you? Well, I've just
1: finished reading this book called Monetizing Innovation, which is pretty interesting. So a lot of companies, like I said before, they don't do proper product development. They don't price accurately. And so often, often this means that companies are either building products that no one wants or they're leaving a lot of money on the table. So I definitely recommend reading this book, Monetizing Innovation. It's helped me think about the problem.
0: And then, and then I want to finish today. We spoke about pricing there and kind of the need to establish pricing pre-product development. So I'd love to touch on your pricing. And you, like Twilio and Stripe, have the product billing through API volume. In terms of kind of the thought process around that, why did you choose this pricing model? And, and how did you kind of approach the pricing strategy then if you didn't do it pre-product development?
1: Well, to be honest, we just copied a, a bunch of our competitors who were doing volume-based pricing.
0: Is that a problem, do you think? Do you think there needs to be innovation in the... Pre- pricing mechanisms?
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's not great for us. Like billing by API volume is actually not as simple as it sounds. Customers will pay a premium for predictability, and they often don't like the volume approach, and or they don't understand it. So the key thing is to make sure that your customers understand what an API call actually is. In Stripe's case, it's pretty easy to conceptualize. An API call is a is a charge, and they had their pricing already figured out for them. Pretty much everyone in the payments industry charges exactly the same, just 2.9% and 30 cents. So they already had their pricing out figured out for them. Now, for us, people we're targeting sales and marketing, they don't understand what an API call is, so they don't care about what an API call is. It's really hard for them to conceptualize, and that's that's a big problem for us, obviously. So we're moving off volume pricing to a lesser or greater extent. So we're actually moving to database size pricing model. So we will sign annual contracts and we'll price based off the amount of leads or contacts you have in your Salesforce instance or your Marketo instance. And then th- this means that we can actually keep the data up to date for the entire uh, yeah, which aligns a lot better with our customers' needs.
0: Is that not still a variable pricing mechanism then in terms of... Unpredictability.
1: It's true. That's true. But what we'll do is we'll have pretty large buckets that people fall into. That's how you get rid of the variability. And so we'll warn people before they go up a pricing bucket. But yeah, it's it turns out there's a lot more reliable than API calls as a as a metric. People can fetch email, the same email again and then again and again. They don't have to worry about repeat calls, and and people understand it a lot better.
0: Well, Alex, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show today. As I said, I heard so much about you from many investors so so thank you so much for joining me today
1: oh thank you for this
0: opportunity thanks my word, how fantastic to have a fellow Brit on the show. And I'd love to say a huge thank you to Alex for coming on the show today. It was absolutely fantastic to hear the clear bit journey. And also a big hand to Hardy at Matrix Partners for the intro to Alex today, without which the show would not have been possible. And do not forget to make this Christmas a special one for your loved one and buy them Sasta annual tickets. Oh yes, that is the way to get into their hearts. All you need to do is enter the promo code Drinks with HARRY. And not only will you get 20% off, always looking after the wallet, but you'll also get tickets to the hottest party in town, yes, our Mojito party courtesy of the very kind mr jason lemkin however until next time it's been an absolute pleasure we always so appreciate the support and we cannot wait to bring you friday's episode